One thing you realize when you go away is, is you um, <clears throat> get something in your throat, <clears throat> is that uh, you find out all the things that people say about you when you're not here, you know, and I, I, uh, I heard, you know, Carson threw me under the bus or something like that last week, and, and Russ, you know, was making fun of how old I am or whatever, or maybe how old he was. Is that what it was? Yeah, he was saying as far as uh, young people use their phones and then, you know, iPad and computer and he uses paper. But you know what? The, the real thing as I was thinking about that, as I was listening to it, is, <clears throat> is that uh, he's actually using paper is, is actually better, like showing his, uh, his age better than mine as far as, because I, I can't use paper because I can't read it. So this is why I use a laptop. You don't even know how big my font is on here. This is, this is the reason, just so, just so we're clear, we all know, but <clears throat> all right, that aside, we're, uh, we're in the last sermon of our, our series that we've been calling What Matters Most, and so we've been talking about what matters most, what's the most important things to us as a church, and so if you've been here through this series, you've kind of been, been picking this up, and if, if you've missed some, they're, they are available you know, we have a podcast as well as our YouTube channel that you can uh, catch up. But this is, this is the thing. And so I'm, this is something we'll always refer back to our mission. Uh, it's always good for us to, you know, kind of go over that again and again and again. But you've probably heard it enough, but you'll hear it again today for the final time, at least in this series. And this is it. This is our mission. This is why we exist. It is this, out of a growing love for God and compassion for others, our mission is to be and make disciples. And so if, if you are relatively new with us, hopefully you've heard this enough now that you know this, oh yeah, that's, that's what that church is about. And we've stated in this as we go into, uh, the rest of the series was about our values, our core values, what matters most to us that we hope, and we've said this throughout the series, is that we don't want this just to be something that we, that we, uh, we preach on or that we post or that we print. It's something that we want to live. We embrace it, and then we actually seek to live this out. That's, that is the whole point of it. And we realize that we struggle in this. And we realize that we're not excelling all the time in all of these. And today, as we come to the, the value uh, of reaching the lost, this is where we, we realize, we recognize, wow, this is an area that we, we fall short in, an area that we could be doing more. But as we've gone through this, these are, these are our core values that we have shared so far in this series. I'm not going to re-preach them all. You can hear them, but listing them. Prayerful dependence, loving in community, teaching truth, Equipping believers, giving generously, and today talking about reaching the lost. And so this is our stated value of reaching the lost. We value reaching lost people through authentic relationships with the love of Christ. Lost people matter to God and therefore matter to us, whether at home or abroad. To walk through this today, I want to take us to... A well-known parable, uh, one of the most loved chapters probably in, in the Gospels in Luke chapter 15. And so I invite you to turn there, Luke chapter 15, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 to 7. And this is really the, the first part of a, a trilogy of, of parables that Jesus teaches. But we'll just take verse 1 to 7 today. 
This is from the New International Version today. <clears throat> now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. All right, <clears throat> so let's take a look, first of all, verse 1 and 2, and see who is the audience here in this story, what's the context. So Jesus is, is meeting with, with these people, they are the tax collectors and sinners, first of all. So the tax collectors, pretty common in the Gospels, perhaps you, you know or you've heard sermons about the tax collectors, they're, they're pretty much the lowest of low in the society, despised by pretty much everyone except maybe their mother. They were not well-liked, and so the idea quickly of the tax collectors again is just that they were collecting taxes for Rome, uh, and they would often be Jewish, and so they were actually taking taxes from their own people, from the Jews, and they would also add on different things and, and gouge. They were gougers, and nobody likes gougers, people that were taking things for themselves, and they were, so they were pretty despicable a lot. And they find themselves in a group with other despicable lot people. And the other group is the sinners. So this is a group that um, they would be the, the thieves, the criminals of various sorts, adulterers. This would be kind of like the biker gangs, the hell's angels kind of crowd. You know, they were, they were just sort of, you know, to themselves. So the tax collectors and sinners were this group. And the Pharisees, you'll read throughout the Gospels, that oftentimes they looked down on them. They didn't have much time for them. And they definitely did not understand why Jesus would hang out with these people. It did not compute to them at all. And so in this situation, the tax collectors and the sinners, they had gathered, they were you know, having a meal, and, and Jesus was among them. Now whether you know, he you know, came to them or they, they probably said, hey, we've heard you talking and you talk differently than the religious leaders. And you seem to actually look at us. You seem to actually engage us. You seem to not look down on us. And so Jesus was warmly accepted into this environment. And it says they gathered around to listen to him. And if you take a step back into chapter 14, you would see that in this whole scenario, Jesus has been raising the bar and saying, this is what it takes to be in the kingdom. This is what it takes to count the cost to be a disciple and he always says in this, he says, you know, let him who has ears to hear, let him hear. Let him listen. Who's listening? Whose ears are open? And then you read the first verse of chapter 15. It says, they gathered around to listen to Jesus. They were open to, to hearing what he had to say. But the Pharisees, on the other hand, they were also there. They were always kind of tracking Jesus, wondering what he was doing, trying to, to catch him in doing something wrong. 
and they were there. But it says they weren't really big fans of Jesus associating with sinners and also eating with them. So it says on one hand they, that Jesus was welcoming them, but he was also eating with them. Whoa! The ultimate sign of, of acceptance was to sit and to share a meal, to break bread together. This would be continually a roadblock to their considering Jesus as the Son of God. Surely, the Son of God would never hang out with these kind of people. And so it says, they muttered, or your version might say, they murmured, or they grumbled. This was an age-old problem. It would remind the reader of the Israelites wandering in the desert. They were grumbling and they were complaining. We're so tired, we're so thirsty. There's nothing to eat here. We should go back to Egypt. Grumbling, murmuring. I wonder if you know people like this. Murmurs, mutterers, grumblers. It's not that they necessarily are, are so knowledgeable or they ask all the questions or they search it out and they weigh it. They just naturally process negativity externally <laughs> and it comes out. You know, I can be like that. Maybe you too. I don't know if you saw the, during the Super Bowl or time, or maybe you've seen it on, on some social media or something, the, the idea of the, the He Gets Us campaign, if you, have you heard of this? Um, it, it was uh, ads that were put on during the Super Bowl, and it was to create conversation about the person of Jesus. And a lot of money was spent, and they put these commercials on during the Super Bowl. However, if you ever go into the crazy world of Twitter or something like that, which you shouldn't, but you know, sometimes you do. I was reading about this and I was amazed at the response of people, left and right, or liberal, conservative, and their response to this campaign about Jesus and the person of Jesus. And so the, the right wing, the more hardline conservatives, they said, this, this isn't the full gospel. It doesn't talk about sin and repentance. It's soft selling the gospel. And the left wingers, they said, you know, this is, they spent $20 million on this. And then, you know, when you dig into the organization behind it, they're, they're non-inclusive. And so the right mutter, mutter, mutter. The left, grumble, grumble, grumble. And I, I'm not here to say, you know, the benefit or anything of the campaign, but I'm just saying that this was just, you can't please people sometimes. The idea, the intent to, to raise some conversation about who Jesus is, and you can't seem to do it right. See, murmuring and muttering is, is the action of Pharisees. There's religious snobbery and there's self-righteousness, and, and ultimately... You're saying, yeah, I don't think God works that way. Or I don't think God can use that because it's not done this way. So what does Jesus do? Says then that he tells them this parable. And as I said, we're just going to focus on the first one. 
about the shepherd and the lost sheep. <clears throat> have you ever lost something? I'm sure you have. If you've lost something and you know you just can't find it and it drives you crazy. We were planning with our kids when they were, they were kind of not really small, but just they were at the age where Disneyland was just like prime, right? It was just the right stage of their life to go to Disneyland. And so we, we planned this. And we, we saved and we saved and, you know, it was going to cost a lot of money, but we said, this is, this is something we really want to do with our kids, share this memory. And so what do you do when you're, you know, you're limited income and you're trying to find a way to, uh, you know, you don't have time to take on another job. You try to sell things that you have. What can we sell? <laughs> it's my wife's favorite thing when I look around. What can we sell? What can we sell? You know, and then heirlooms of your omas? No, um, can't do that. Oh, that piano. Bought a piano for our kids. There was a, a moment in their lives when they said, we want to learn piano, take piano lessons. And they, they took some piano lessons, and then they, it was just kind of something, that, a feature in our, in our room. We said, we can sell the piano, and we'll make money for a trip to Mexico. So we sold the piano. We got $400, which is a lot of money for, for us at that day. And, and Tanya took the money. She, she put it away. Well, time, time comes, and we're, we're getting ready, getting our passports ready and all the things for the kids. Uh, actually, we drove. What were I talking about? We couldn't afford flights. We, we drove. And so we, we filled up our vehicle with gas. And we, where is our money? So we couldn't find the $400 anywhere. And we're like, what happened? We looked everywhere, high and low, could not find the money. Well, we go to, go to Disneyland, and we're kind of, kind of like, oh, well, we'll just trust Visa. And uh, came back, and wouldn't you know, uh, our car breaks down. And the month we get back, and we, well, we got to get our car fixed. So we took the car in, get it, get it fixed, get the bill, and it's like $398. And we're like, oh, great. Well, Tanya goes in, she looks in an old purse that she had, and there's the $400, exactly what we needed to fix the car. Now, we laugh about that because we say, well, that was just, you know, God, you know, keeping that money for us so that we could, uh, you know, pay for what we really needed, and, and it was uh, trusting in him. So, but there's things, when it's just, you know that you put it somewhere, and you just can't find it. It's lost. It drives you crazy. Well, in this situation that Jesus tells this parable, it wasn't a fact that, you know, the, the shepherd had misplaced the sheep. You know, it wasn't like he was going, man, where did I put that one? <laughs> it was the fact that the sheep wandered because that's what sheep do. This is what we're told in Isaiah 53, verse 6. Speaking of us as sheep, saying, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. We've each turned to our own way. Saying that we've decided to, to wander away from God, like sheep. So, what was to be done about this? This parable shows two things. It shows the action of God and the response of heaven. So, these two truths illustrated in this parable. First of all, this truth is that God actively seeks lost people. The lost trilogy of the, the next one that comes is the lost coin and then uh, the, the prodigal son and the lost son. These three all reveal the character, the heart of God and his priorities. 
So there's this flock of sheep in the open field. They're secure. They're safe. There's others potentially that are watching them. But wait, 97, 98, 99, one's missing. And so Jesus says, does he not leave the 99? Kind of a rhetorical question. He's saying this is the logical thing to do is to recognize all of your sheep are not accounted for. So what do you do? Well, you leave the 99 and you go seek out the missing one. Now, this could have been, you know, there's all kinds of rationale. This is a parable. It's not supposed to be it's telling everything about the life of a shepherd, but this would be things that people there would know. Shepherds, by the way, were probably slightly, you know, above the, the tax collectors, sinners, shepherds. They weren't exactly in the, the highest places in society. But Jesus uses them in this parable. And so... This is a logical thing. You're missing one, what does he do? He goes away and, and looks for it. Chances are, in the culture, that shepherd would, you know, it would come out of his pocket if one of the sheep was missing. So, you know, I'm gonna do what I can to try to get that sheep. Now, if the sheep were away from the shepherd and away from the flock, obviously there was a target on its back. It was, it was an urgent thing. I'm not a, a shepherd. Um, but I've heard this, and I read a little bit about this, but there's something that's called a cast sheep, all right? A cast sheep, and I don't know why it's called that. Maybe Jim knows. Okay, family, family of sheep owners. All right, but this, this cast sheep would be on its back. If you'd find this sheep on its back, and, and perhaps it was pregnant, perhaps it was just a, a large sheep, fell over on its back and would be unable to breathe. And now if you're, if you're out, you know, on a farmyard somewhere and you see a sheep like this, you shouldn't like, oh, look at that sheep, you know, it can't, can't get up, it's on its back, ha, ha, ha. No, save the sheep, right? Help the sheep up, can't breathe, it, it could die very quickly. And so this is one thing that potentially was a hazard, a challenge for the shepherd. If the sheep is, is missing, it could be on its back in distress. Obviously, this sheep as well could be, you know, just prey for a predator. It wasn't going to be able to protect itself on its own. Have you ever seen like an aggressive sheep where it's just like <laughs> an attack sheep or something like that? <laughs> like, don't go near that sheep because it's dangerous. It would, I don't know, maybe there is such a thing. But it's, there's, the idea of a sheep is that it's helpless, right? It, it doesn't really, it doesn't hurt anyone, just doing its own thing. But this sheep wanders off, it's lost. Could die, could be lunch. And so it's a priority for the shepherd. But important to note that it's not that he loved the lost sheep any more than the rest of the flock. But they weren't lost. And so as we discover the priority of God as our shepherd, we're reminded that as his disciples, his priorities are to be our, our priorities. We've defined this as a disciple. A disciple is one who out of intimacy with Jesus patterns their life after his character and his priorities. 
What matters to God matters to us. And so here, Jesus is saying there's a priority. Seeking the lost. And significantly, this is an active pursuit. It's not passive. This is something that the rabbis or the Pharisees, it was out of their realm of understanding about God. Couldn't conceive it. Yes, they would understand that if, if you were repentant, if you were, you know, came to God, sorry, he would receive you. But to actually look for you, no way. But as we see in the Gospels, that Jesus was all about the rescue mission. The rescue mission of God. Luke, Luke 5, 30 to 32, just a few pages before this. It says this, But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Mutter, mutter, mutter. Same scenario. Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And a few pages farther, Luke 19, verse 10, after being at Zacchaeus' house, a tax collector, a sinner. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. That's what Jesus said. That's why I'm here. That's why I came. That was my mission. That's my priority. And so God actively seeks lost people. But then we see what happens when the lost are found. Heaven celebrates when the lost are found. Look at verse 5 to 7. Listen for, for just the, the emotion, the celebration, the joy in this. It says, and when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Now, it doesn't say this was a lamb, this was a, this was a sheep, probably 100 pounds or more. So, you, you, you know, you find this thing in the, in the thicket or whatever, and, and you're just like, man, you're thinking this is, you're probably going to find a carcass or something. This, this sheep is gone, and what are you going to find? He finds it alive and slings this thing, you know, over his shoulders. No, no grumbling. You know, I, I would probably be like dumb sheep <laughs> made me you know skip dinner I don't know you know it's getting dark and uh, now we're in the midst of it here and I gotta I gotta carry you all the way home <laughs> I'd be like mutter 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 nope this shepherd is so excited that he's found the sheep alive He says, I got you. What does he do then? And then he says, then he calls his friends and neighbors together and they say, rejoice with me. I've found my lost sheep. He shares it. He's excited. And then he says, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Repent. So what is, this, what is this saying? I think there's a, a beautiful picture here of what's happening in heaven when people turn to Jesus. There's a party. You know, what goes on in heaven tells us what is meant to be on earth, right? 
That's how we're, we're to pray. As it is in heaven. Let your kingdom come. <clears throat> so there's a party. <laughs> the party going on. He's found the sheep and there's sinners that have come to repent. So, okay, so let's talk a little bit about application there. What does that mean for us with our value? This is our value. We realize it's a priority of God, actively seeking the lost, and we know that there's a, there's a celebration. So how do we live this value out? Well, first of all, I think it's important to do this, is to acknowledge that we've been lost. We've been at the sinner's table. Can't forget where we have, we have come from before Christ. The Apostle Paul says this in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 4-6, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. He's saying, we were once in darkness. We were blinded by the God of this age. We couldn't see. It was, it was veiled from us, but yet that veil was, was taken away. And now light is, is shining in darkness. It's shining in our hearts. It's important for us to remember that. That without Christ, that was our condition. But Jesus welcomed us. He shone his light in our hearts. And I don't know if this, if you've thought about this, but this sort of just came to me today, is that, you know, I, and some of us, we have maybe a very clear time where we said yes to Jesus. It was a moment of surrender, and we can pinpoint it. Some of us, you know, can't. It's been a, a process of growth, and, and, uh, and yet... Imagine this. This just like hit me this week. When I said yes to Jesus, I caused a ruckus in heaven. Hey, get a hold of that. When you said yes to Jesus, there was a party. Like you, you, that was about you. Someone who was lost and had their eyes open. The light shone in your darkness and you came to Jesus. See, I think that when we remember that, when we look back at that and we say, that was, that was the time where I said yes to God. I think that that keeps us humble. And I, keep, I think that that keeps us from being maybe a, a murmuring Pharisee because we remember where we were before Christ. So we have to acknowledge that. And then secondly, we, we know that God has been and is faithful in doing his part. Uh, I, I um, have watched a TV show that talks about kind of this, this team of individuals, you know, that, that goes in and they rescue people or they do different kind of operations. And, and there's always a, there's a situation and they have a saying that they say, and it's, it's work the problem. You got to work the problem. And you know, God worked the problem. He didn't create the problem. We did that on our own. When we were the sheep that went astray, when we were the ones that said, we're going to go our way instead of his way, we said no to him and walked in disobedience. But God in his faithfulness didn't give up. And so he worked the problem and he developed a plan and he executed that plan. He had a plan for redemption all along. He always, 
always, always had it in his heart to redeem us, to save us. And he executed that plan. And next week, we are starting a series for going to Easter, which is my favorite time of the year. And that shows very clearly how that plan was executed in the person of his son, Jesus. He went to the cross. He died for our sins. Three days later, God raised him from the dead. The tomb is empty. He imparted his spirit to the believers and to us. He gave us the apostolic teaching that we have in our word. It tells us how to live and walk in faith. And he formed the body, the church, his bride. This was all part of his plan. And he executed that plan. And so he did the heavy lifting. He has been and is faithful in doing his part. So he continues as well to pursue and draw lost people. He keeps doing this. And this is what Jesus said. He said that no one comes to the Father unless the Father himself draws them. He's the one that's doing the work. He's drawing, inviting people to himself. This is good news, people. <laughs> Do you know that God is always at work in the lives of lost people? Maybe today you're thinking you have a friend that's, that's just so hard, so resistant to Jesus. Or maybe in your family. Maybe it's a parent or, or one of your kids. And I know some of your stories in this room. And I know your heart. For some of you that have, have kids that have maybe walked away from their faith or wandered from their faith. It's hard. But hear this today, is that God is the good shepherd. He is actively pursuing them. He's not just sitting back, you know, with his arms crossed. He's like, well, when's that kid going to come home? <laughs> He's a shepherd who is actively seeking to rescue the lost. Third, we have to do our part, and we seek to be faithful in doing that. So what do we do? Lots of things, but just a few to point out. We live authentic Christian lives. This is what we do. This is a life of grace and redemption. It's not perfect. You know that the, the same gospel that saved us is the same gospel that sanctifies us. We have to keep doing the things that we have done and that we've received from God again and again and again. We, we turn to God in, in faith. We repent of our sins. But we live this out in a way that other people can see it. One of the things that I think keeps lost people and people that don't know Jesus sometimes from connecting to Christians is that one is either you've, you look too polished and squeaky clean and, and they don't relate to that or you hide that and you're deceitful about it. And so sometimes it's just a case of, you know what, we're, we're broken, fallen people, but we have a God who saved us and redeems us. And maybe you've got to say that in a way that doesn't sound so churchy. But to say that, you know what, we fall short. But there's Jesus. That's the, the authentic Christian life. We live out our values. The things that we've been talking about aren't just churchy things that are on our website. These are the things that we each individually do. So we keep praying dependently. We pray for people in our lives that, that don't know Jesus, that are lost. 
We love in community. That's one of the biggest ways that Jesus said that people will know that you are followers of mine is how you love each other. We teach truth unapologetically, uncompromisingly. We, we give generously on and on. We live out the values. That's our part. We promote the gospel, what we all can do. Maybe you're not going to be a preacher or a teacher. Maybe you're not going to be the biggest like evangelist, someone that's going around and, and it's just so easy for you to share Jesus. It might be hard for you, but you can promote the gospel at home or abroad. We're, we're working on our, our mission board, our mobilization board. It's just getting updated, but when, when it's done, you'll see these are all the people and the ministries that we support. We're promoting the gospel, whatever we, wherever we are, at home and throughout the world. And we join with all of heaven when lost people come to know Jesus. Finally, we call for a response. When we're, we have an opportunity, as we've been praying, we, we have an opportunity to share Jesus with someone. It's not that we, we just say, wow, that's, that's pretty cool, hey? Cool story. No, see, the, the invitation includes an RSVP. What do you think? What is keeping you from responding to God, what he's done for you. That's sometimes the hardest part. But today I want to give you an opportunity um, to respond yourself to the invitation. So today, do you know where you stand with God? Are you spiritually lost? Do you know that God in his love has been actively pursuing you do you know that he did everything that was necessary to rescue you, to bring you to his table? How have you been responding to that? Have you been pushing him away? Is today a day where you could say, okay, I'll surrender and I'll receive the love of God. So I invite you today in this moment, if you would like to, to simply respond in faith to his invitation to say yes to him. And so I'll pray, and if you want to pray, you can pray this simply in your heart. God, I know that I need you. I have turned from you, and I have gone my own way. I know that you love me and that you have been pursuing me. So I ask you right now, in this moment, to forgive me of my sin and to welcome me into your family. I give my life to you in surrender. And for us today as a church, we also pray to you, God, that you would forgive us when we grumble, when we discount how you might be working would you stir in us, would you motivate us to have your priority of reaching lost people? And may we join with all heaven in celebration when lost people come home to you. Amen.